Well, happy Christmas Eve. It's good to be with you guys. If this is your first time here, my name is Garrison, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas State, and we're very glad that you are here this morning. Um, If you want to open your Bibles with me, we're going to be looking at Luke 2, 1 uh, through 21. Luke 2, verse 1 through 21. Luke 2, verses 1 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, there should be white paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those, turn to page 500, and uh, that will get you to Luke 2. Uh, Luke chapter 2, the 2 is the uh, big number, the chapter number is the big number, and then the verses are the smaller numbers in between the sentences. So you'll want to find Luke 2, 1 through 21. Uh, Hey, if this is your first time here or... Uh, you've been visiting with us for a little while now. If you take a moment just to fill out a Connect card, uh, it's attached to the bulletin that you received when you walked in this morning. That's just a good way for us to know uh, who you are and, and uh, what brought you to Veritas and how we can get uh, connected with you for lunch or coffee and, and uh, help get you connected with what God is doing here in our church family at Veritas Dayton. Uh, there's also a little space for prayer requests on those cards. We'd love if, if you just jot a few things down uh, in the prayer request uh, section so that we can know how we can be praying for you this week. We count it an honor and a joy to be able to do that. Um, all right, Luke 2, 1 through 21. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, Luke 2, 1 through 21. And this is Luke's account of the narrative of Christ's birth. In Bethlehem, let's listen with reverence and joy. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, 
the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the coming of your son. Because we know that it is in the coming of your son that offenders and outcasts like us, sinners like us, weaklings, pathetic people like us are declared righteous, are welcomed as your sons and daughters are saved, are pardoned, are given peace with you. And so we, we, do, we give you great thanks for him coming and saving us and being our Christ and our Lord and our Savior. And we ask now, Lord, that you would help us in our hearts to behold him and to rejoice in his coming, to hear this good news with our ears and that it would go through our ears into our hearts that it would pierce our hearts with joy and peace and believing, that it would pierce our hearts, Lord, to convict us, to comfort us, to break us down, to build us up, to pluck us up and plant us. Lord, we need you this morning. We need your presence, so would you pour out your spirit upon us? And in so doing, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, no doubt the Christmas season is known for many things. It's known for trees and lights. It's known for feasting and family. It's known for a big man in a, in a red suit with an epic beard. It's known for arguing with grandma about politics over the dinner table. And it's known for surprises. Um, not all surprises are good, of course, but Christmas is known for the good kind of surprises, happy surprises. It's known for unexpected generosity uh, from family and friends. It's known for those kind of moments that leave you astonished and, and staggering at the hospitality and the thoughtfulness of another uh, now, in our house, I'm never surprised myself. Um, I'm too sneaky. I always figure out what my family gets me before Christmas Day this year. I'm getting a, a, a pour-over kettle thing. Uh, so I always figure it out. Um, but, you know, one of the wonderful things about uh, the Christian life that I've noticed about the Christian life is that it is continually surprising. Um, it, it, the Christian life is continually surprising. Christianity is surprising. Jesus is utterly surprising. Um, and what takes place in our text this morning is no different. Uh, and this particular passage is no different. This particular passage of scripture is surprising. The way that Christ comes, the way that he saves, who he comes among and through and for, who he saves, it is utterly surprising. It's not what you'd expect. He's not who you who you would expect. He's, he's, he, the, one, the ones that he comes among, the, the ones that he comes to save are not who you would expect at all. And that's what I want to consider briefly this morning, the surprise of Christ, the surprise of, of Christmas, the surprise of, of Christ's coming, the surprise of how he comes and who he saves, the surprise of Christmas. 
And what we see in our text in Luke 2, 1 through 21, is that Christ comes in humility to bring offenders and outcasts pardon and peace. Christ comes in humility to bring offenders and outcasts pardon and peace. And that's the big idea that that we'll be exploring. It's the big idea of our text this morning. It's one single point. Christ comes, and he comes in, in humility. Uh, and, and, and not only is that surprising, that Christ, the, the king of heaven and earth, comes in humility, but also who he comes for. He comes for the offenders and the outcasts of the world. He comes to bring them pardon and peace. He comes to bring forgiveness and reconciliation to weary and sin-sick people. That's what we see in our text this morning. So that's what we're going to dig into. The opening lines of our text this morning uh, mentions one, Caesar Augustus. Now, one of the reasons Luke mentions Caesar is he's setting up Caesar Augustus uh, as a, a kind of contrast, uh, a, a vivid contrast to our Christ and king born in this passage. Caesar Augustus, he was originally named Octavius. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. Uh, and he wasn't originally in line to be king, but he scratched and he clawed his way uh, to the throne. He stepped on others who would have ended up there otherwise. Uh, And and once he ascended to the throne, he ruled in complete power and authority, in utter power and authority, and he gave the empire, actually, stability that caused it to last far longer into the future than it would have otherwise. And in those days, Caesar would have been seen as, like, the ruler of the entire earth. Uh, All of the inhabited world was under his thumb. Uh, Imperium is a word that means, like, unlimited, uncontested authority, Uh, the kind of authority wherein you could do whatever you want. You could literally do whatever you want. The kind of authority that everyone has to submit to. Well, Caesar Augustus had imperium. He had that kind of authority. And that's exactly what he was communicating uh, to the whole world in this registration. Uh, The registration was enforced so that Caesar could tax all of the world. Uh, which may not seem like so much of a big deal to us now, but at the time, taxing was not simply just one of the certainties of life, you know, death and taxes and all that. Uh, But at the time, taxing uh, was uh, 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 Caesar's way of saying, all of you are mine. You belong to me. You are all my slaves. I own you, and I'm going to reach my hand into your pockets to prove it to you. He had far-reaching power and authority, enormous, seemingly unending riches. And not only that, he was also, uh, surprisingly, well-loved by by many. Not by everyone, of course. Uh, He generally was not loved by the majority of the people of Israel, who particularly hated this kind of taxing. But he was, uh, by most others, nonetheless, he was well-loved. The Roman Senate actually... Uh, uh, voted to give him this title Augustus instead of his his name Octavius. Augustus means revered or sacred. Um, They were basically calling him Reverend Caesar, uh, which was a title only given to gods typically up until that point. Uh, Many even considered him to be a god. Um, Many within the Roman Empire not only referred to Caesar as the ruler of the whole earth, but they called him the savior of the whole earth. Uh, when he died, people grieved. They loved him. And, and, and one historian notes that some even comforted themselves, saying that, that Caesar Augustus was a god, and gods cannot die. So uh, uh, Caesar Augustus cannot truly be dead. They comforted themselves by telling themselves this. Uh, and that's, that's the man that we see in power, in utter authority, in imperium this morning in our text. And contrasted from this man, uh, this king of prosperity and power and prestige in our text, we see the birth 
of a lowly pauper, a a, a peasant boy born to low-ranking, uneducated, insignificant people, Mary and Joseph. But this baby, Luke says, this, this peasant child, this baby, Luke says, is the real king. He is the real savior of the earth. He is the child promised uh, uh, for ages, born of a virgin. The angel appeared to Mary and told her that this child would be the Messiah, the savior, the king of the kingdom of heaven. This child is God come in flesh to save his people. But much of what we see in our text this morning doesn't necessarily reflect that. It's just, it's, and it's not just a typical and ordinary birth. In many ways it is, but much of it is actually base and humiliating. Because of this registration, Joseph and Mary, they had to make their way to their hometown, Bethlehem, from Nazareth. And uh, they were likely staying with some friends, uh, but their friend's extra room was taken up uh, by others who were in town for the registration who would have outranked Mary and Joseph. Uh, Joseph and Mary, they were of humble estate. They were of low rank. They were poor and lowly. But their friends, nonetheless, not wanting to put Joseph and Mary out, put them in the first level of their home. Uh, in, in the first level of this house. This, is, this would have been where the animals were kept. Houses in Bethlehem typically had two levels. The upstairs level was where uh, families and guests stayed, uh, and then the lower level uh, would have been where the animals were kept. And this is likely the room that Joseph and Mary were staying in, the type of room that Mary and Joseph were staying in. And uh, while they were in Bethlehem, staying in these kind of conditions, Mary goes into labor, and she delivers the child here, and what might be the equivalent uh, to like a barn. And after he was born, Mary, you know, counts all of his fingers and toes and puts him in swaddling clothes and she lays him in a manger. And I don't want us to miss this because we've romanticized the manger. Like we, we've made it a thing, but let's call it what it is. It's a feeding trough. It's a feeding trough for animals. And I know that like we're city folk and that might not really Click with us, we, we, you know, don't, but don't picture a, a, a typical nativity scene with nicely swept floors and, 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 and all that. This is a room wherein, if you're not careful, you might step in animal excrement. These are the conditions that the Christ child is born in. The high king of heaven, the promised Messiah and king, the, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the ruler of heaven and earth. When he comes, he comes not amongst the powerful, but among the poor. When he comes, he comes not as a prince, but as, but, uh, as a peasant. It's scandalous. It's surprising, isn't it? And it's completely antithetical to everything that Caesar is and stands for. Caesar scratched and clawed his way to the throne, but Jesus came down from his heavenly throne in humility and lowliness. Caesar was a man who supposedly became God. Christ is God become man. Caesar oppresses and enslaves. Christ sets free and saves. Caesar dwells in palaces amongst the powerful, Christ among the pitiful and poor. It's surprising. It's unexpected. And that's not all that's surprising. Notice in verse 8, who it is that receives word of his coming from the angels. This Christ, the king, he comes. And then God sends word from heaven in verse 8 to a particular group of people. It says, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now again, this is something we need to pay attention to, because often Luke writes in such a way in his gospel and in Acts, wherein he wants you to see yourself in certain people in the story, and this is no different. 
Luke wants us to see ourselves in the shepherds. You see, in those days, shepherds weren't exactly respectable. Uh, in fact, they were viewed as low lives. Uh, they were offensive to the typical person. They were despised by people, typically. Their testimonies uh, were not often accepted in court, uh, typically not accepted in court because people thought they were liars. Um, and, and not only that, but people thought they were thieves. Uh, apparently, shepherds sometimes in, in that day struggled to, to identify whose sheep were whose when they were out in their fields, if you know what I mean. Uh, because of the nature of their employment, they were generally not allowed to gather with the people of God in the temple because they were unclean. They dealt with things uh, that, that would have rendered them unclean because of their employment. So they were unable to attend the religious services of the day. And yet, when the angels show up to make the announcement of Christ's birth and to sing their heavenly song, it comes as somewhat of a shock, as a surprise, that they show up among these shepherds. Out of all the people in Bethlehem, the majority of them being just fine, respectable people, some of them probably being highly ranked. And not only in Bethlehem, but in all uh, Israel and Jerusalem and in all of the Roman Empire. The angels didn't show up amongst the religious leaders of the day. They didn't show up in the palaces of the powerful and political elite. They didn't show up in the mansions of the wealthy and the well-to-do. They show up amongst the offensive and outcast shepherds with a word of peace, saying, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those. Peace with those with whom he is pleased. The angels show up among the shepherds and they announce this good news of great Joy, news of the coming Savior King, news of mercy and grace and salvation. They show up among the shepherds and they give this word of peace from heaven to shepherds. And listen, that's how it always works. The word of peace from heaven always comes to those who don't deserve it. It always comes to those who have no business hearing a peaceful word from heaven. It always comes to those who are unclean and unworthy. It always comes to offenders and outcasts. So if you're here this morning and, and, and you think you're unworthy of God, unworthy of his kindness, unworthy of his favor, if you see yourself as an offender, as an outcast, as a sinner, you're exactly right. And you're the exact kind of person that Jesus came for. He came for you. Jesus said so himself in Luke 5, 31 to 32. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, of course, Jesus is not suggesting that there's any particular group of people that are not sinners. Everyone is in that category. But there are those who don't see themselves as being sinners. There are some, maybe they're religious, maybe they're very moral, maybe they're well-to-do, who don't think that they need God's grace. They don't think that they need Christ's coming. They don't think, they, they don't think that they are offenders or outcasts. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come for them. Jesus says, I came for sinners. 
I came for people like those shepherds. I've come for offenders and outcasts. Maybe you don't see yourself as a sinner. Maybe you think, sure, you know, I, I've made a few mistakes. I'm not perfect, but I'm basically a good person. If that's you, then I would simply say to you that the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ will never make sense to you. It will never, you'll, it will never make you sing. It will never make sense to you. You will never receive it until you realize that you're a sinner, until you realize that you are an offender against the high king of heaven. You will never take hold of God's lavish grace held out to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until you see yourself in these shepherds, until you humble yourself as nothing but a sinner before God, you will never receive the word of peace from heaven. God came in flesh for those kinds of people. He only comes to the lowly. He only gives his word of peace to those who are like the shepherds. He only makes his home in the likes of animal feeding troughs. He only saves offenders and outcasts. And here's another surprising thing. He came to give them, to give us, offenders and outcasts, peace, pardon, and peace. The announcement and the song of the angels tell us that Jesus had come to bring pardon and peace to offenders and outcasts. The word of peace comes to the shepherds and it comes to all of us who are sinners here this morning. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Christ came in humility. He came in lowliness. He came in poverty to give the humble, the lowly, the poor in spirit to offenders and outcasts, to give them pardon and peace. He comes to bring pardon. That is salvation and forgiveness. He comes to take away all of your guilt and sin and shame. And in giving this pardon, he also gives us peace. He gives us peace with God, reconciliation to God, restoration of right relationship with God. Christ comes to give us right standing before God. He comes to give us the acceptance and the favor of God that we've always hungered for, even though we didn't know it. He comes to save, to give pardon and peace. This, this is the depth and the width and the height of God's love displayed for us. Christ came from heaven to earth, from his throne to a feeding trough, from heavenly happiness to earthly debasement, from nothing but bliss to a life of pain and poverty and sorrow and suffering. He came to share in our humility, in our, in our humiliation, in our humanity. He came to share our poverty and pain, to share in our terrors and our tears, all in order to bring us out of the pit of sin and guilt and shame that we've fallen into. How surprising is that? I love how Frederick Beekner once put it. He said, once you have seen him in a stable, you can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend to in his wild pursuit of man. How true, and yet in his birth, his humiliation has only begun because he would go even lower than this. Christ came to us as an outcast from his birth, yes, but not only was he an outcast in his birth, he was an outcast all of his life. Isaiah 53, 3, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Luke 9, 58, he was a man who had no place to rest his head. 
He was rejected by the people of God. John 1.11, he came to his own and they received him not. They rejected him. He was an outcast. Even to the point that they turned him over to Roman authorities to be crucified and executed. And on the cross, there on the cross where he was crucified, he not only became an outcast for us, but he became an offender for us. He who lived his life in utter perfection and he who needed no pardon. He who had perfect peace with God, naturally. The only human being to ever live who is not an offender became an offender on the cross for us. He became the offender, the outcast for us. And he was put to death and buried for us, wrapped not just in swaddling clothes, but in grave clothes. Laid not just in a feeding trough, but in a tomb. In utter debasement, in all humiliation, Christ was crucified and dead and buried. All so that offenders and outcasts like us would receive pardon and peace. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, for us on the cross, Christ became sin. He became an offender. He became an outcast so that when we trust in him, we are no longer counted as offenders or outcasts. We're no longer offenders or outcasts, but we become the righteousness of God. Our position of being offenders and outcasts is taken away from us. And we stand as those who are pardoned and at peace with God. Rather than being offenders and outcasts, we're made sons and daughters. That's the surprise of Christmas. He came to be born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's the surprise of Christmas. That's the surprise of Christianity. All other religions is you working your way up to God. But Christianity is God coming down to us in humility and lowliness to save the humble and lowly. He comes in a feeding trough to save save shepherds. He comes to die on a cross to save sinners and make us God's sons and daughters. It's surprising. As we conclude, let's briefly consider how we should respond to this good news of salvation, to this surprise of Christmas. We've seen ourselves in the shepherds. They were offensive. They were outcasts. We are offenders and outcasts. They receive this good news of Christ come to bring pardon and peace, and their response to this good news of great joy is exemplary. First, with haste they make their way to Jesus. Luke writes, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So when they heard the good news of Christ come for uh, salvation from the angels, they didn't waste any time. They ran to Christ. They went with haste to find him. They, They ran to him. They went with haste to lay hold of him. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian. You've been running from Christ for a long time. Don't wait. Run to him instead. Turn around and run to him. Turn away from your guilt and shame and sin and turn to Christ. If you have any questions or you want to grab someone to talk with or pray with you after service, uh, grab me or one of the other leaders that you've seen up here this morning. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you with haste. Run to Jesus. Gaze upon him with all your heart and mind and trust him. And second, they couldn't help but share what they had heard. Luke uh, writes, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They had this good news spoken to them, and it was so good to them that, that they had such great joy from it that they had to tell others about it. 
Now, C.S. Lewis said, uh, uh, once said that, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. And this is why the shepherds had to tell about what they had heard and seen. That's why, in the same way, if we have received this good news and believe this good news of great joy, we must as well. And maybe for you, that means telling a family member who doesn't believe about this good news of Christ coming uh, this, this weekend, this, this week, uh, as, as you celebrate during Christmas time. Maybe for you, that means coming forward for, baptize, for baptism and, and announcing to the world, publicly announcing to the world and to God's people that you are a follower of Jesus. Whatever it means for you, if you've received and believed in Jesus, you can't keep silent. You've got to make known what you've heard. Third and last, when the shepherds returned to their flocks, they did so, it says, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, I'm sure that their day-to-day routines and vocations didn't change much after this. They still had daily duties of attending to sheep. They still had families to tend to and diapers to change and meals to prepare. But this good news of great joy, this good news of Christ coming to bring offenders and outcasts, pardon and peace, undoubtedly put new life and joy in the midst of their daily duties and run-of-the-mill routines. It gave them great peace in the midst of the mundane and ordinariness of their lives. We've certainly had and, 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 and heard much hype and hullabaloo over this Christmas season, leading up to this Christmas season, and, and Christmas is about to come and go. It's about to come and go, and it'll it'll be like a flash. And then we're going to return to our ordinary and mundane routines. And if Christmas is really about all the stuff, all the marketing and and all the consumerism and all all the stuff, then that can kind of depress you. But if what this season is about is the message of Christ come for offenders and outcasts to bring us pardon and peace, then even when we go back to the mundane and routine, we can do so with joy. Like the shepherds, we go back to our vocations and stations, our daily duties and run-of-the-mill routines, like the shepherds, glorifying and praising God for all that we've heard and seen. Christ comes in humility to give offenders and outcasts, pardon and peace. May we respond by running to him with haste. May we respond by telling of what we have heard. And may we respond by returning to our ordinary lives, glorifying and praising God for all that we've heard and seen. Let's pray together. Father, we do give you thanks. We do give you honor and glory and praise this morning because of what we've heard and seen in Christ. We've beheld your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We've beheld your glory in his birth, in his life, in his teaching, in his ministry, in his actions, in his death, in his suffering and death, in in his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension. We've seen your glory. We've seen your kindness We've seen your gentleness toward us. We've seen your love toward us. And so, Lord, would you let that shape and mold our hearts and pierce our hearts and give us peace in our hearts, rest in our hearts as we prepare to come to your table and as we prepare to be sent out from here. 
to go to our homes and various places of celebration. Would you help us to go with hearts full of joy and peace and believing? Would you help us to go, Lord, with, with quiet minds, quiet hearts, quiet consciences, knowing that it is finished in Christ and that we are now your righteousness, that we are no longer offenders and outcasts, but that we, as ones who have received pardon and peace, are your sons and your daughters, accepted by you, loved by you, treasured by you. Help us to rest in that, to enjoy it, and to tell others about it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.